Episode 130, Vicki Moore, entrepreneur, author, and coach. Author of the book, Life Beyond Should. Well, my favorite mistake and also the one that had the biggest impact on my life was... I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Vicki, her work, and her book, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 130. As always, thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Vicki Moore. She is joining us from Frankfurt, Germany. She's an entrepreneur, author, and coach. Her passion is finding ways to help people achieve big goals. So she spent most of her career in corporate training and development, working with Fortune 500 clients. And then after um, founding a successful training agency in Los Angeles that she ran for 10 years, um, she then pursued her dream of moving to Europe in 2015. So again, she now lives in Germany. She works with uh, teams and individuals to help them confidently create their own path to success. So before I tell you a little bit more about Vicky, first off, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I want to um, give a shout out and a thanks to Lynn Yap, who was my guest in episode 117, because she introduced us and recommended uh, Vicky as a guest. So thanks uh, to Lynn um, for doing that. Uh, Vicky is the author of a book titled Life Beyond Should, Overcoming Expectations and Create the Life You Want that was released in May 2021. So you can learn more uh, about the book and Vicky's work at lifebeyondshould.com. And we're going to be doing a book giveaway contest related to the episode here. So look for a link, a form you can fill out on the show episode page. Look for a link for that in the show notes. Um, so Vicki, um, as we normally do, I mean, we're, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about your, your work these days and your book and other uh, experiences, but we like to dive right in and ask the question we always ask here. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, my favorite mistake and also the one that had the biggest impact on my life was in 2011 when I gave away the business that I had spent 10 years building in Los Angeles. So so what do you mean so tell us more about that. What do you mean gave away? Was that Well, yeah, so let me start uh, yeah, yeah. let me start at the beginning of the story. Um yeah. so um I started, you know, early in my career in Los Angeles, I worked in a variety of corporate roles. But after a few years, I decided to branch out on my own as an independent consultant. And as I got more and more clients, I added team members to help me manage larger projects and so before I knew it, I had a small training agency <clears throat> helping corporate clients uh, deliver training and coaching programs across the U.S. And the business continued to grow, uh, adding more team members. Even through 2008, during the recession, we actually managed to double our revenues in 2008. So everything was going really well <clears throat> until 2011 when 
my personal life uh, got in the way of the business in a way that sort of threatened the existence of the business. Uh, a divorce meant that the business was likely going to be part of financial and legal negotiations that could go on for years. I mean, you know how that goes. And um, you know, the more I thought about it and the more I considered the options, I was like, you know, I really... I don't want to put the team through that. We had a really, you know, close-knit team worked really well together and I didn't want to jeopardize the client work and I thought okay, years of of battling over, you know, negotiations just didn't make a lot of sense. And so I talked to one of my colleagues at the time about it and we talked through the different options and you know, ultimately we decided that I would hand the business over to her to run under a new business name. And I essentially resigned from my own business and went back to being an employee for a competitor. <laughs> mm. And so how did that end up working out though? Because I, I, I can understand um, sounds like the, the 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 reasoning behind that not speaking as an attorney or certainly not a divorce lawyer here but um why, why why do you look back and say that that was a mistake what what aspect of that decision to give away the business well ultimately it did work out for the team i mean it it had the desired result in that the team continued to work together they're still working together the business is is thriving even now um it was a mistake or it felt like a mistake at the time for me because I had put so much energy into creating a business that really supported my lifestyle. Like I had finally gotten to the point where I had a flexible work schedule. I had work that I loved. Um, I had systems in place that helped the business to run even when I wasn't there. And so the effort was really put into creating something that supported my life uh, and you know, supported good work, work that I enjoyed. And to give that up felt like a huge step backwards, um, you know, especially to going back to being an employee, going from an entrepreneur to then, you know, suddenly being an employee again. I gave up a lot of uh, freedom at the time. And yeah. So you're saying it felt like a mistake at the time, or you, you had some regrets about that. Did, did you come to view that decision differently as time elapsed? Or how do, how do you view it looking back now, a decade later? Yeah, so looking back now, I see that it actually created the space and the opportunity for something new for me. It, it created the freedom for me to actually pursue my dream of eventually living in Europe. And you know, obviously, if I was running a business, that wouldn't have been certainly wouldn't have been as easy to do. It may not have been possible to do. Um, so the the space that it opened up in my life to change direction ultimately had a much more positive effect for me than staying there and continuing to run the business. So it sounds like if um, you had a time machine, knowing what you know now, you you would make the same decision at the, at the time, but maybe you would have felt less bad about it in, in the short term and in immediately after making that decision. Is that fair to say? I 
would have made the same decision because it felt like the right thing to do. I mean, even at the yeah. time, right. even at the time, it was hard to do, but it felt like the right thing to do for the business and for the team. I guess the only thing that I regret if I had a, you know, a time machine that would allow me to see all the possible paths that one could take. I feel like there might have been a way to, for me to continue to be involved in the business and maintain, main, maintain that connection and that work. So that's the only thing I might've done differently is just seek more types of options. Sure. And um, I guess one of the questions, just looking back and this is just getting into the weeds. I'm just curious. Well, I'm sure, you know, you, you had an attorney who, helped you talk through and think through this idea of giving away the business that didn't cause any repercussions. I mean, like, I imagine it would be bad if like during that time where you're thinking about having to, to, to split up assets, like if you'd just written a check for a hundred thousand dollars out of your 401k that your, your, your then husband and their attorneys might've said, Hey, you can't be giving this away. Cause it's, it's partially, partially his. Was well, it was um, yeah, it was, if I kept the business, the valuation of the business would have been the thing that took a long time. Mm -hmm. Really establishing the value of the business is what it's worth. And if I want to buy it out, how much would it cost to buy it out? Um, and that was what concerned me was how much time it would take to establish that. And would a buyout even be possible? Mm -hmm. um, and at, on the other hand, I mean, this wasn't the kind of business that was going to go, you know, for an IPO, right? It wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't sure. like I was giving away a multi-million dollar scalable enterprise. It was a small mm -hmm. agency. Yeah. Um, and it felt like sort of I was the business and I was the brand. So it wasn't yeah. really a saleable business in, in that sense. So from the legal perspective, it was more about how long do we have to sort out what the negotiations are more than the actual financial aspect of it. Okay. Well, thank, well, thank you for sharing, you know, that story and, and, and for talking about it. And, you know, I'm curious just, you know, to move forward now, um, how, how is it living the dream in Europe? How has that panned out for you? I hope well. Uh, well, it's, it's, the dream is, um, good in a lot of ways, but actually one thing that goes back to, to giving away the business and, and one reason, you know, the mistake part still comes into play. As I had thought that when I moved to Europe, I could do the same thing. I was like, okay, I've done it once. I can do it again. I can build a business. I'll start offering corporate training and consulting solutions. And I hadn't really factored in cultural differences, you know, business culture differences, the importance of network, the importance of language. And so my, my dream of sort of, I'm just going to take the same formula and plop it down in Europe and make it work, didn't really work out. But um, I have to say what I've, what I've been able to experience working and living in Europe has been fabulous. And it's certainly been you know, you know, learning after learning and lesson after lesson, uh, mm -hmm. no shortage of, of opportunities to acquire new skills and learn new things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, was the dream specifically always Germany or did you consider different countries um, within Europe? I, I was aiming for Spain. Yeah. I missed. By a couple of borders, I, I missed. Um, no, the, um, 
the dream was Spain uh, to be somewhere warm and sunny Mediterranean climate. Uh, but when I moved to Europe, uh, it was actually it's actually an interesting connection. The agency that I went to work for in the U.S. after I gave away the business ended up being the one that sponsored my visa to move to Europe. So the connection ended up being a really you know, valuable thing for me instead of a mistake, it ended up being really helpful. Uh, but their requirement to sponsor the visa was that, oh, well, you know, the work is in Germany. So yeah. that's where you need to be. Are, are you, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, is this intended to be a permanent forever move? Are you pursuing citizenship or it would maybe make it easier to move within the EU? Uh, so I have residents in the EU now, so I am able to move around in the EU. And yes, that was that was one of the goals was to be able to have that freedom of movement, because really the dream was more related to being able to travel easily, learn languages, learn more about different places, less like a tourist and more like a local. That was really the experience that I wanted to have. And Certainly living and working here has made that come true. And mm -hmm. it is, it's worth everything that it took to make that happen. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing, you know, also some of the reflection of, you know, be, being there in Germany and learning from mistakes along the way. It sounds like you've taken a pretty positive view of building upon, not letting, uh, you know, building, building upon lessons learned, not letting setbacks derail you from what it is that you're hoping to build and achieve there in Europe, right? Yeah, somebody said the other day, it's only a failure when you stop trying. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging yeah. on to that saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're either, you're either still working at it or you've given up. I've said a very similar thing before that there are only sort of two states of being for whether it's a business or a project or an initiative within, within a company. Yeah, it fails once you've decided to stop. Mm -hmm. So persistence exactly. and, and learning from setbacks. That's certainly one of the themes that we talk about here on the podcast. Is, is that something that you end up trying to coach others through, you know, kind of, you know, dealing, dealing with setbacks or mistakes and, and helping people work through that? Tell us more about the coaching work that you do with people that way. Yeah, so certainly dealing with setbacks and and what people consider mistakes is is part of the coaching, but it starts before that because what I found and even in my own experience moving to Europe what I found is really the the first thing that people need help with is overcoming expectations either of other people or of themselves and you know my story of making the decision about the business and then making the decision to move to Europe so many people thought I had lost my mind, right? You know, you're giving up a, a successful business. You're giving up a successful career. Why would you start all over again? You don't know anybody there. You don't have a job. And those expectations that everybody else has of what our life should look like mm. makes it really difficult to, for a lot of people at least, makes it difficult to pursue those big sort of unconventional goals. And so that's the first thing I've coached people on is what are the expectations that they're living up to and whose expectations are they? So it sounds like, you know, going back to that decision and story you told us about, you said at the time it felt like the right decision, but others were putting pressure on you or, or giving you sort of like this 
negative feedback of, hey, Vicky, you're making a mistake. That's that's tough to fight through, I bet. Yeah, well, it's really hard. And especially at the time, because, of course, that's such an emotional thing. You know, I, there, yeah, everything in my life was changing all at the same time. Um, and, of course, people are giving advice and trying to be helpful. But, yeah, I got so much advice. No, you should fight. You need to, you know, get a better lawyer and do the and my own perspective was getting sort of pushed down from people that, you know, from their own experience knew better, but that was from their experience, not from my experience. Right. Right. I mean, who, who knows your own life better than you? Yeah, exactly. And I think ultimately you have to make the decision that feels right for you and, you know, then pursue the version of success that, is your version of success. And so whether it's in business or career or, you know, personal life, what I define as success and what somebody else defines as success are two different things. And you need to pursue the one that's important to you, not the one that other people think, you know, should be the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, another question for you, Vicki, about the, the, the coaching and the work that you do now. Um, you know, who who do you work with and, and what type of coaching? Is it related to training and development or, or broader personal or leadership coaching? Well, it comes out of my experience in training and development, which, you know, you've just heard the story has been basically my entire career uh, because, you know, the core of, of training and development is, and employee development is empowerment to use your talents and skills to grow and change and achieve goals. And so I've taken what I've gained from my experience in corporate training and development and applied it to individual situations. So I coach individuals, primarily women, uh, and people that have a sort of unconventional goals. I like to call them impractical or impossible goals, right? Um, Because those are the ones that sort of require that change in mindset, right? It's not just about, I need to do these five things in this order. First, it's about changing the mindset that even though it feels impractical or impossible, there's actually a way to accomplish it. And then it's just a matter of finding out how, what are the options, how to reach that goal. Yeah. And, and, and what, what I hear you saying is, you know, like with any good coaching, it's not about you as the coach telling them what to do back to the idea of the people you're coaching, they know their life and their goals and their uh, dreams more than you ever could. So you're, you're helping them think through those possibilities and, and figure out their own path. Exactly, exactly. To think through those possibilities or to see possibilities that they might not be seeing yet. And, and you know, this is the with the business as well. There probably were other options that I had available to me at the time that I just wasn't seeing. Right. And sometimes you need people to challenge the perspective to help see a different perspective or another option or another path. And so it's first about opening up the range of possibilities. And then helping people decide based on their own values and their goals, which of those possibilities is best for them. Yeah. Yeah. And and you work with 
Um, you, you've got clients uh, mainly in, in the EU. Do you still work with clients in the, in, in the U.S., um, given virtual <laughs> meetings, even with the time zones? You, that, that probably opens up a, a different world of clients to you. Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I have clients both in the U.S. and in the EU. The language makes a difference. So I actually have more clients in the U.S. than in the EU because people prefer, you know, coaching is so personal and individual that people prefer generally to be coached in their native language. Um, and um, I am not fluent in multiple European languages, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But yes, both um, both in the EU and, and in the US, certainly that's been um, broadened you know, over the past couple of years. People have gotten more comfortable with video conferencing and, and coaching virtually. Um, and before we talk about the book, just a question, uh, curiosity about moving to Germany. Sometimes I like to ask people a question of like, well, what's the best thing about this and what's the the worst thing about it or the biggest challenge? I mean, what, what's what you, you've touched on this a little bit already, I think. But what how would you summarize? Like, what, what's the best thing about moving to Germany for you? The best thing about moving to Germany for me is the just incredible variety of experiences and people and perspectives that I've been fortunate enough to have while I'm here, you know, conversations with people from, you know, all different countries and different backgrounds and even business conversations sitting around a conference room table when we used to be able to do that. And hearing somebody else's perspective on a problem because they're coming from a completely different experience than what I have. And that's just opened up possibilities that I can't even begin to describe. Mm -hmm. And then you, know, you mentioned language, but so maybe that's the answer to the biggest, the biggest challenge. What, what, what's the biggest challenge about, you know, just picking, picking up and moving to a new country? No, language was not the biggest challenge. It's, it's certainly a challenge, um, but the biggest challenge was, and I remember it very specifically when I first moved here, I was starting over again as if I was five years old. I didn't know where to buy groceries. I didn't know how to get electricity. I didn't know how to get internet. I couldn't read my mail. I couldn't read the labels on the groceries once I found the grocery store. <laughs> so language certainly is part of that, but even the brands are all different. So even when you can, even when you can read, you still don't know what you're buying. And so it was just this feeling of here I am a completely, you know, competent, experienced professional woman who was in charge of my life and running a business plopped down in this country where they're going to turn off my electricity because I can't read my mail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that yeah. was just hard. I mean, I think, you know, people often misuse the word humbling. That sounds like that would be truly a humbling experience to, to start having to relearn everything and being so uncomfortable. It was, it was really humbling. It was so frustrating. I tried everything you know, I actually looked for a coach. I told someone, I said, I would pay top dollar for someone just to help me get through daily life. How do I do this? Um, but it was also a really powerful learning experience because to be in that situation, I just had to get comfortable saying, I don't know. 
And that was really hard for me at first. And then finally, I realized that there was a lot of power in saying, I don't know, because I could learn so much. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a challenge for leaders, even when it's not a change in country or a change in language. Um, getting comfortable with being the manager, being the CEO, being the founder, what have you. And to your point, being comfortable with saying, I don't know. Sometimes there's a mistake where people will pretend that they know things even, you know, because, you know, the, 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 the expectations maybe are that they do have all the answers. And that mm-hmm. might be an example of unfair expectations that people need to overcome, sort of thinking back to the, the title, subtitle of your book. Yeah, well, that's, it's an interesting connection. And I recently was talking to someone about the, the change for leadership now. And I think the expectations of leadership have changed because it used to be that a, a powerful or a strong leader was expected to have all the answers. And now there is a shift to a leader is expected to encourage collaboration and participation, but that's a, that's a hard adjustment for people, certainly. Um, and that shift in expectations and getting comfortable with the change in expectations. Um, Yeah, and the book touches on that as well about the importance of expectations, right? Because we need expectations. They help us get through life. If you didn't know what to expect, everything you did, just like my move to Germany, everything you do would be hard because it would be new every time. So the expectations create this, I know how to handle the situation. I know what to do. But at the same time, we need to challenge expectations when they stop working for us. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the subtle difference. Yeah. So our, our guest again is Vicki Moore. And the title of her book is Life Beyond Should, Overcome Expectations and Create the Life You Want. Um, I, I was going to ask you about this. You've touched on already some of the nuance in expectations. Because I, I, I think of, like in a lot of cases, expectations can be a good thing. If people, uh, if you have a good reputation and people have high expectations of you as a speaker or as a podcast host, or, I mean, that, that can be good, but then maybe it tips into being a problem if people have unfair expectations. I'm never going to be perfect. So if somebody expects me to give a speech without stumbling over a word, and I don't know if that's how you would define perfection. Somebody might, um, you know, unfair expectations or what, what you think are unfair expectations could cause a lot of stress. Is that part of what an individual might need to overcome? That is part of it is not even unfair expectations can cause stress because people are, yes, because people are expecting something unrealistic. uh, And then you're trying to live up to that. And you see this a lot with um, college age uh, students related to their parents' expectations and this syndrome where, you know, students burn out before they've ever gone to work because they're trying to live up to expectations of, you know, being on the football team and getting good grades and doing community service and, 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 and whatever. So you see that in situations like that, but there's also the expectation bias where it tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, where we, we do step into the expectations of us 
which when they're positive expectations can be good. If your boss expects you to give a perfect presentation, you're more likely to give a person perfect presentation just because of that. At the same time, if your boss expects that you're not capable of making that client pitch, then you're less likely to succeed because already the expectation has been set that you're not going to succeed. And they did research with students where teachers' expectations actually had a result, actually predicted the result of the student, right? The students stepped into the expectation people had of them. And that's a dangerous thing. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a bias that once you're aware of it can be overcome. Yeah, and like, for example, um, racism or, or bias in that way could affect somebody's expectations in a way that sets the bar low for somebody instead of believing in somebody and having more of an expectation of success, regardless of their race or their background or some other factor. Is that type that, of thing? Yeah, that's you're, it you're exactly. So whether expectations are low or high, we tend to live up or down to them. If we accept them as true and, and that's the important factor. So, you know, a lot of the coaching I do is whose expectation is it? And is it from, you know, from your individual perspective, is that expectation true? And if it's not, what do you do differently to move past it? So that is, yeah, that is the beyond should part of the book is what everybody else thinks you should do or should be and how to identify that and then how to set your own goals and expectations for what you want. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful framework. I like those questions and that that thought process of, of for one, figuring out whose expectation is it? Is it um, expectation that comes from uh, a manager, a client, a customer? Is it an expectation that you're putting on yourself? Sometimes those things can be out of sync. I mean, you know, speaking uh, for, for myself a little bit, as somebody who is still trying to be a recovering perfectionist, like, you know, if you think the expectations are too high, perfectionism leads to um, just um, procrastination. Mm-hmm. If you think, well, the way I can make sure it's not seen as imperfect is by by not completing it. Do you, do you see that dynamic or help coach? I'm not asking you to, I'm not trying to get a free coaching session from you, but do you, is that something you, you seem like you kind of recognize that, um, that scenario? Well, I recognize that it? scenario personally because I am also okay. a recovering perfectionist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually writing the book was one of the hardest lessons in not being a perfectionist that I uh, have yeah. ever had because I mean, you could keep editing and keep editing and keep editing for, you know, for decades. Uh, Finally, finally, you know, the publisher said, you just have to submit it already. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, from a coaching perspective as well. I mean, obviously, that's there are lots of different forms of, of procrastination for something we are. For a challenge that we're afraid we might not succeed at. So whether it's perfectionism or whether it's, you know, other types of procrastination, um, that's one of the sort of habits that I 
coach that I help people to recognize and then develop new habits to replace that. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, there, there are pros and cons of having uh, a third party publisher doing it yourself. One advantage for some people is like you said, the deadline <laughs> and the pressure, the follow-up to, uh, to, to get it in. But yeah, there's, there's that perfectionism of, you know, is it good enough to release yet? Um, sometimes, you know, the ideas bouncing around in your own head can prevent a perfectionist from even starting to type. And at least for me, one of the lessons, one of the tips I got was like, don't try to write a perfect first draft. Like at some time, at some point you got to just get the fingers moving and write it and then you can edit it. Then you can get, get input from others. Then you can craft it and, and make it at least good enough to release. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's really good advice. And that's, I heard that a couple of times was just get it out of your head and onto paper, regardless of how bad it is. And then work on it later. But, you know, you make a really good point. I mean, we're talking about writing a book, but I think that applies to, you know, anything, whether it's in business or, you know, changing careers or, you know, pursuing any other sort of big goal. Sometimes, well, not even sometimes, often the hardest part is starting. So it's kind of that whatever it is, take the first step, whether that's get it out of your head onto paper or do the research or make an appointment or whatever. But taking that first step, once you have that forward momentum, then the next step and the next step and the next step are easier. Yeah. I think that's really well said. So I think we'll, we'll wrap up on that note, Vicki, thank you for sharing, you know, some of your, your story and your reflections. And I think some really good advice and, and frameworks. For others. So again, I'll encourage people to go check out the book, Life Beyond Should, Overcoming Expectations and Create the Life You Want by Vicki Moore. Um, the website is lifebeyondshould.com. Uh, and, and, and again, uh, go and enter the contest for uh, the book giveaway. And um, I hope people will go and, and check that out and uh, find it helpful to them, whether they win a copy or, or better yet, go, you know, go buy a copy. So Vicki, thank you. Thank you for being a guest today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed the conversation. Again, for more information about Vicky, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 130. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.